We've been going through the Old Testament, and we're going to continue our study. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 23, as we've been going through the Bible verse by verse. We're up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. As we saw last time at the beginning of chapter 23, David was looking back over his life, and he was giving thanks for the mighty men you know, that the Lord had put into David's army, and uh, he was grateful for how the Lord worked through these faithful men who were so loyal to David. And uh, the Lord, he shows us even more of their loyalty to David as we continue our, our passage today. We, we got to the middle of 2 Samuel 23. We're going to start at verse 13. So David is still kind of telling stories about these guys and how uh, they, they have been trained by him to love the Lord and to fight just the warfare for the Lord. So uh, going to uh, 2 Samuel 23, verse 13. Then three of the 30 chief men went down at harvest time. And it tells us here there were, there were these 30-some guys that David had that were kind of at the top of his forces, uh, some of the top of the mighty men. Uh, none of them are anybody you want to mess with, but these are kind of the best of the best. And uh, we saw last time there were three at the very top level, and those guys were pretty rough on their own. Uh, we come down kind of a level here, and some people debate whether this is the next level or still talking about these top three. But uh, either way, these guys are, are rough guys here, and uh, they're, they're really tough. Like I said, they're loyal. They'll fight to the end. So uh, verse 13, it says, Then three of the thirty chief men went down at harvest time, and they came to David at the cave of Adullam. And the troop of Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So it lets you know the, the enemies around and uh, David here, he's in a place of hiding. Uh, it's very possible that this is going back a few years when David was running from Saul. And we saw then as we followed some of his, his life at that point that he was hanging out in caves quite a bit, having to hide out there. So we, we see that here he's in one of those times where he's in a cave, so he's in hiding. And uh, his men, some of these guys are coming down to him at this point maybe returning from a skirmish or something going on. Verse 14, it says, David was then in the stronghold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And this is uh, interesting. The Lord brings this up because David is from Bethlehem. That's his hometown. So I think what we're going to see here, uh, there's a lot of, I think, good speculation. I think that David was had thoughts going back to Bethlehem. That's back to his hometown. So maybe a time of homesickness. I mean, here he is in a rough situation. He's having to hide in a cave, and he's having thoughts of home. Maybe when he was growing up and he was free, you know, to roam the land and watch his dad's flock and didn't have to worry about looking over his shoulder too much unless it was a bear or a lion, and he, he took care of them, you know, by the grace of God. So here he is at this time in verse 15, it says, and David said with longing, so this is something... Man, he's kind of thinking out loud here. He says, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. So uh, this again, he's probably you know, remembering this well, thinking he drank there many times, and he's probably thinking, wow, I remember when I really needed to be refreshed, and I went by this well, and man, I was able to just drink the nice, cool water there and just be able to go, oh, that's good stuff, you know. But now he's far away from there. The enemy's between him and that place. And uh, 
I think his thoughts are just drifting back there, and he's thinking, oh, man, what I would give to be back at that time where I could have that drink, you know? But he's longing for that. And uh, his guys here, some of his men are hearing him because he's thinking out loud, and they're going to take action and do something about this. They're going to risk their lives to go try to get him that drink that he wants. And I don't think that David was, was ever planning on drinking that, you know? He didn't expect these guys to go do it. He would just kind of thinking, man, it would be nice to have that. But as we look at these guys, you think about this, they're willing to do anything for their king. You know, and man, that we would have a heart for our king. That we would say, we'll do anything for you, Lord. You just, you just whisper it, you know, you just think out loud. And when we hear your thoughts, we'll say, we're going to do that for you, Lord. We're going to take care of that. And that's what these guys, they've got this heart for David. So look at verse 16. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines. Nothing was going to stop them from, from doing this for David. So they broke through the, the enemy's camp here. They drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and they took it and they brought it to David. So they knew exactly which well it was. They went right there, got the water. They, they brought it back to David. It says, nevertheless, he would not drink it, but he poured it out to the Lord. And it says, and he said, and here's his thinking on that, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by the three mighty men. So, an interesting picture of David here and his men, you know, he's thinking out loud. He didn't even give an order. And these guys jumped and responded. So he didn't have to tell these guys twice. They just took it and ran with it. And again, if we had such a heart for the Lord, you know, uh, it's just when the Lord barely, barely starts to move, you're like, I'm going, Lord, I'm doing it. What do you need? Just show me which way to go, and I'm here. You know, the sad thing is a lot of times we're, we're wrestling with the Lord when he's leading us, and we're saying, Lord, you can't be telling me to do that. I mean, that's dangerous. Are you kidding me? You know, you don't really have to have that water right now, Dave, right? I mean, you're okay. You can hold off a few months, maybe years. We're good with that. You no, know, you don't hear that, that complaining argument at all. They're just, they just go with it, you know? So it's an amazing picture of that. But then from David's side, I mean, can you imagine these guys show up with this water and they're saying, here you go, you know, our, our Lord and King, we brought you this water that you wanted. Take it and enjoy it, man. And to David, you know, this was such a special thing that they did for him. He, he felt that loyalty and that love that they had for him. And, and David's like, I can't enjoy this. These guys risked their lives just to, just to get this drink of water to please me. So David was thinking, this is such a, a special thing they have done for me. He said, I've got to pass this on to the Lord. Man, have you ever had anything so special in your life that the Lord allowed to happen for you? That you had to say, I can't receive this, Lord. I've got to, I've got to give it back to you. I've got to give the glory to you. Because that's what David is doing here. And this is interesting, as the Lord lets us look at David's life, and sometimes we get real close-up pictures like this. This shows us David's heart, you know? David had such a heart here that, that these guys, they cared about David deeply to do this. And David is showing that he cares deeply about his Lord, you know? So, so David showed something here, too, with these guys. I'm sure he felt bad when he realized, these guys risked their life for me, and this wasn't a life-or-death battle, this was just to get me a drink of water, you know? So 
from this, I, I think David's heart was, guys, the only reason to risk your life like that is for the Lord himself. Don't do that stuff for me. I mean, if it's a life and death battle, we don't have a choice. But for something like this, you know, Lord bless you guys for your love and compassion, but, but don't do this. It's not worth it. It's really not, you know. And, and this is an amazing picture of the, of the respect and the love these guys had for David because of the way he treated them. You know, you don't get this for, from a, a mean, cruel dictator, do you? A tyrant. You don't see this kind of care for them. <laughs> Those guys are always watching their back because they're afraid their best guys are going to kill them one day, right? These guys lay their life down for him. And again, it's a picture of us. We should be willing to lay our life down for our Lord, you know? Even if it's the smallest thing. I say, Lord, if it's not a small thing for you, it's not a small thing for us, you know? Let's go on to verse... Uh, 18 there. It says, Now Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and you remember Abishai and Joab, they were the really tough guys that were commanders in, in David's military here. And uh, he comes back in the picture. We haven't seen him in a while. It says he was chief of another three. So he's in charge of three of these top guys. So he's pretty pretty tough guy himself. Look what he did here. He lifted his spear against 300 men, he killed them, and he won a name among these three. So out of the three he was in charge of, and that he's, he's the guy, and he's earned it. He's not, this isn't a political appointee. <laughs> he's earned this because he is fighting for, for David and for the Lord here. It says in verse 19, was he not the most honored of three? Therefore, he became their captain. And notice this, however, interesting little tidbit the Lord gives us here. He did not attain to the first three. So he, although he's an excellent soldier and he really knows how to handle himself, he did his job, but even he wasn't raised to the level of the top three guys. So notice this. Some people would say, you know, if they're in his shoes, maybe they'd say, you know what? If I can't be part of the top three, if I can't be part of the best group, then I don't want to be part of the second group either. You know, have that attitude. But here's what you see here with these guys. These guys were not in competition with each other, you know. They knew what their particular job was, and they weren't competing for somebody else's position. They were satisfied being in David's army. You know, what an honor to fight for David in the first place. And then when you see he's got these elite soldiers, what an honor to be in that group. I mean, you know David would trust you with his life in a heartbeat. Wow. So they were on his team, and that's what mattered to them. And you think about this, we're on the same team with other true believers from many other churches, you know? We need to learn some lessons as we look at this passage here. For one, we have our God-given position, and we don't need to compete with some other church that's on a higher level than we are. We're simply called to do what God calls us to do as a body of believers, as the Lord leads us. That's what we need to do. That's what we need to focus on, and we need to do it well, but we don't have to compete you know, against other churches and say, well, they're doing this, so we're going to do that, or we see them doing this. And, you know, you see a lot of churches falling into those things, and I call them passing fads because they see some church and think, oh, man, look at these guys. Look what they're doing. we got to do that. Well, the question is, did God call you to do that? 
That's, that may not be your position. You need to seek the Lord, right? Because this guy, he was called and he did his job very well. You wouldn't, be on, you wouldn't want to be on the other side of his sword or his spear. I mean, you're like, man, you, you may not be the top guy, but you're, I respect you and I'm not coming in before you. He did his job and he did it well. And that's what we're called to. Just what God's told us to do, but we need to do it well. Another lesson we get here. Since all true believers are on the same team, we need to support one another and not be divisive against each other. So we can pray for other churches, you know. Uh, we can pray for other believers. We're talking about true believers in, in true churches where they're teaching the truth. We're not talking about joining churches that don't believe the Bible and stuff like that. We're talking about with, with real Christians in churches that love the Lord and are doing the best they can to serve the Lord. We need to encourage them. We're on the same team, you know. And, and that's one of the concerns we have with a lot of denominations. There have been divisions that have been brought into the body of Christ. And people will fight for their division <laughs> rather than saying, we're on the same team, let's just work together. You know, when we were with the, the Mardi Gras ministry, the men's ministry, we went down there. There were over 90 churches represented. They weren't all the same flavored church either. You know, we met folks from different denominations, different groups. And yet the thing was, we were all on the same team, and they really focused on that. And they said, we're giving out the same gospel that every one of our churches believes in. And, and that was the focus. And man, it was powerful to see the Lord show up for that. So that's something to be aware of. We're not fighting our brothers and sisters in other churches because they are in a different flavor than we are. We need to pray for them and support them. Another lesson we get here, if we forget that we're on the same team and we get jealous, then we can easily be distracted from the mission that God has given us to do. So we want to keep our focus. You know, we want to say, Lord, help us to see what you've laid before us. You know, just like this guy here, uh, he was told that you got to fight these guys right here. What if in the midst of that, he's like, but those guys are fighting those guys. I want to be over there and fight them. Yeah, he turns his back. He's in trouble, right? So he's got to keep his focus right where the Lord put it. So think about this guy, Abishai. He's busy doing his job. And he did it so well, we're told here, that he won a name for himself. Isn't that something? So we don't need to worry about trying to do somebody else's job that we weren't called to. We just need to do the job that the Lord gave us to do and that he gifted us to do. And we need to do it the best that we can. So this is encouraging, I think, that you know we don't have to all be a Billy Graham. We weren't called to be him. We were called to be ourselves and to use the gifts that God has given us you know, and when we got saved, every one of us were given a gift by the Lord to serve him. So we don't need to neglect our gift, but we do need to use that gift in the best possible way to serve our Lord and King as well. So we get some great lessons again as, we look, as David's looking back over his life and bringing up some of these guys and how he saw them being used by the Lord. Man, there's, there's good stuff for us here. Uh, look down to verse 20. Benaniah, Benaniah was the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man from Kabzeel. So this is another guy, Benaiah. It says uh, he's a, he was a, the son of a valiant man. So this runs in a family. And uh, it says, who had done many deeds. He had killed two lion-like heroes of Moab. He also had gone down and killed a lion in the midst of a pit on a snowy day. So this guy wasn't afraid to take on some really mean guys in battle. 
I mean, the guys it describes here on the side of Moab, these were probably these special forces guys from there. And he's not concerned about taking on two of these guys. Woo, that's tough stuff. So he didn't back down from the fight, and he didn't turn and run away. Just because the enemy he was facing was as ferocious as a lion, or even as ferocious as two lions. <laughs> How'd you like to be in that battle, right? And you think about this, how does this apply to us? You know, the Lord tells us in Ephesians that when it comes to spiritual warfare, that having done all, to stand. He doesn't say there, if you notice, now if the enemy's too tough, you know, you probably need to back off and give him some ground. He never says that, does he? He says, having done all, to stand. But what if he's as tough as a lion? Hey, what did the Lord say about our enemy? He's like a lion, right? He's walking around, roaring like this lion, looking for somebody to devour. So we're called to face these tough guys too in warfare, spiritual warfare. So when we're fighting for the Lord's kingdom and not for our own, he's going to give us the strength and the wisdom to stand against our enemy. Really interesting, guys. Um, we're told, too, that Benaiah here wasn't afraid to take on a real lion if that was needed. <laughs> Can you imagine? And you think of this. He didn't have a high-powered rifle, you know, that, that we would be used to today and say, I'll, I'll take that lion on. Give me that rifle and let me stand, you know, a few hundred yards away. And I'm okay with that. <laughs> no, this guy is very up close. It says he's in the same pit. So this is direct contact with a huge wild animal using hand weapons and your brute strength. Wow, that is no small task. But by the power of the Lord, this man was able to do those things and come walking out with a victory. Isn't that amazing? And you look at the other obstacles he had to deal with too. The Lord shows us here, this was a crazy task. I mean, it looks like, there's, how are you going to win this? He says, on top of this being a deadly lion, it's also a snowy day. Well, that's going to make it kind of tough, but you're talking, it's cold enough to snow, so the old fingers aren't enjoying that too much, right? Plus, it's probably a little slippery, and I think you probably want some good footing when you're going to take on a lion, right? So that was going against him, and also he's in a pit. So there's not much room to maneuver here. You'd be very limited. There's no place to retreat to, and you can't stop and catch your breath and say, let's take a break for a minute. I'm, I need a breath there, you know? That ain't going to happen either, right? So it's just fight, 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 fight until you win. And that's the only answer. That's the only option. So our enemy, the devil, you think about this. He can get us into some tight spots too, right? But we keep our focus on the Lord and we can come out victorious too. Because the Lord is the one who's going to win the battle, not us. This guy, I don't believe in himself, he had the ability to do these things. This was God giving him the power by his spirit and by his training from the Lord to be able to do this, okay? So again, the Lord shows us some amazing stuff going on here. Uh, look at the same guy in verse 21. Uh, he killed an Egyptian. You're thinking, okay. But look what it says there, a spectacular man. So this is not an easy soldier he's coming across either here. He killed an Egyptian, a, a spectacular man. The Egyptian had a spear in his hand. Okay, that's, that's a deadly weapon, right? So what do you do? So he went down to him with a staff. <laughs> I wonder if he learned that from a shepherd, right? <laughs> you don't need a spear. Nah, take your staff with you. That'll be good enough for this guy. Wow, 
This is another big, tough special forces guy. So what does he do? He goes down there with his staff. He wrestles the spear out of the Egyptian's hand. And you know, that wasn't easy. This guy wasn't handed it to him. He had to wrestle it out of his hand. And he killed him with his own spear. Wow. So this Benaiah was one tough dude. You know, he made short order of this Egyptian warrior who apparently had a reputation himself. And listen, you know, to what Wearsby said about this Benaiah, I thought this was pretty cool. He said he met the worst of enemies in the worst of places under the worst conditions, and he won. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? He won because of the Lord. That's why he won. And think about this. He knew what his job was, and he did it to the best of his ability. And again, that's what we're called to. The Lord doesn't expect us to do anything beyond what he wants us to do, what he calls us to do, what he gifts us to, and what he enables us to do. That's all that's expected of us. Are you in over your head? Absolutely. <laughs> but you got to trust the Lord, and that's the point. We see the Lord work in us and through us, and then he gets all the glory. And again, that's the way it should be, right? So come down to verse 22. These things Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, did, and he won a name among three mighty men. He was more honored than the 30, but he did not attain to the first three. So he wasn't on the top level. And David appointed him over his guard. So David had a job for him, a special job. But again, he wasn't elevated to be the top of the best of the best. Okay, So notice again, he did his job so well that he won a name for himself, but he wasn't given a place in the top group. And yet, we hear no complaints from this guy. You know, It should be enough that we, we do what the Lord called each of us to do because we're not responsible for somebody else's job. But we are responsible for doing our own job. We can't sidestep that one. And the Lord gave each of us that, at least one supernatural gift when we got saved. So the question is, are we using that gift? Because God gave it to us for a reason. And, uh, and that's something that we have to challenge ourselves with. And, and cry out to the Lord, Lord, I know when I got saved, you tell me in your word that you gave me a spiritual gift. If you don't know what that is, ask him, Lord, please show me what the gift is. I want to use it to serve you, you know? And a lot of times you might even be using the gift and don't even realize it, you know? If the Lord gave you the gift of giving or something, you're probably doing that. Don't even pay attention to it because it's so natural, it seems like to you. But it was a supernatural gift. And how the Lord changed you when he saved you and what he was doing in your life. Uh, so let's go on a little further here in verse uh, uh, 27. We're given a list of these guys by name. And it starts naming them. Asahel, the brother of Joab, was one of the 30. Uh, remember, he was one of the guys that got killed. And uh, we, the Lord gave us a story on his life. And some of these other people that are named here, we saw a few of them before. But I just want to look at a couple of, of things here. If you look down to verse 34, this is, in some of these lists, the Lord kind of hides things. If you read them and, and look at them, the Lord shows some things to us here. Look at the middle of verse 34. It says, Eliam, this is one of his guys, he was the son of Ahithophel, the Gilanite. You remember Ahithophel came up in the story. He was Bathsheba's grandpa. So think about this. This is where the Lord kind of challenges us to meditate on this a little bit here. So Eliam here was Bathsheba's dad, and he was one of David's mighty men. And her grandfather Ahithophel was known by David as one of David's trusted advisors. 
know, we saw that story a few weeks ago, what happened with him, how he turned against David. So it appears here that David may have known Bathsheba before his adulterous rendezvous with her, you know? She apparently wasn't some random person that he just happened to see that night and thought, wow, nice looking lady. You know, I'm gonna bring her over to my place here. No, David knew not only her grandfather and had him as a trusted advisor, he also knew her dad. He was one of David's mighty men. So David knew him personally. But it gets even deeper than this. You look down to verse 39 in this same passage. And who's the last guy mentioned here? One of David's mighty men, okay? Uriah the Hittite. 37 in all, we're told about these guys. So surprisingly, who's mentioned here? Bathsheba's husband. Wow. So this really sheds a, a crazy light on what David did. David was with her. He knew not only her grandfather and her father, but he knew her husband. Wow. Wow. So, you know, this is amazing. Look what sin did to David, okay? He had one of the elite forces guys killed to save himself the embarrassment of being caught in an illicit relationship with that guy's wife. You talk about sin blinding you and making you do crazy things. You know, this really shows how low David stooped when he did that with Bathsheba. And this is what sin can do to us. So the Lord puts these, these, these things in here to really show us sin is dangerous. It can really mess up your mind. You know, I mean, the devil wants us to think sin is no big deal. Everybody's doing it. Look around. Look at your society. Look at the movie stars, right? They show them doing all kinds of illicit sin. And look how healthy they look. Look how they glow. Everything's good. Sin isn't really that bad. Then the Lord brings stuff like this in. Can you imagine the regret David must have had when he came to his senses and he repented after that? How many lives were affected by his sin? Amen. The Lord keeps showing us stuff like that because he wants us to know your sin, my sin, it affects other people. The devil's lying to us. He said, nobody will know. It won't hurt. Nobody will find out. It's not going to hurt anybody else. You can do this and it'll be just fine. But the Lord shows us, man. He puts that mirror up there and he says, really? Was anybody else's life affected? Oh, man. Man, this family suffered such a loss because of what David did. Wow, check ourselves, man. We need to check ourselves. If, we're, if we let our barriers down to sin and think, you know, sin's not really that bad. There's a lot of enjoyment with it. There's enjoyment, but man, it's, it's not worth it on the other side. The baggage that comes, the wounded lives on the other side of that. And the Lord tries to let us see that over and over and over again. You know why? Because we need to see it over and over and over again. Because our devil's always consistent in speaking in our ear that it's okay, even now, you know. Looking at this passage, like, ah, oh, come on, this is Old Testament. Come on, guys. Yeah, the devil's lying to us. He always lies. You know, and be careful. Don't trust your feelings because the devil, he's got an inside track to using our feelings quite a bit. We need to get our mind renewed, keep our mind on the Lord because the devil knows how to work around that sometimes. So be very careful. So think about this now, looking past that incident, okay, 
This passage here was to pay honor to these mighty men that the Lord used in David's army. That was David's goal in, in bringing this up to let us see that the Lord will bring people in your life and they'll be such a blessing to you. If you're walking with the Lord, if you're open to him, the Lord's gonna bring those people in and they will bless you, okay? Yeah, David's intent was not to show how messed up he was here. The Lord lets us see that in the background, but the point of the passage is he wanted to honor them. And I want you to see something. Look back to 1 Samuel chapter 22. We kind of alluded to this, I think it was last week or the time before we were in the passage here. But 1 Samuel, back to 1 Samuel, not 2, but 1 Samuel chapter 22. The Lord tells us about the early history of these guys when, when David first ran across them and they ran across David. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 <clears throat> David therefore departed from there, and he escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And look what it says in verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented, okay, means they were bitter folks here, they gathered to David. So he became captain over them, <laughs> And, and there were about 400 men with him. And that number grew as time went on. But these are the guys that were brought to David. They were a mess, okay? And the Lord wants us to see that. I mean, does that sound like a bunch of guys that you would want to recruit in your army? Lord, let me get these kind of folks. Man, they're a mess. They're discontented. They're bitter folks. They're, they're in debt, you know, like crazy. They've been rejected, basically. They're basically the rejects of society, you know? And yet, what did the Lord do with these guys? The Lord tells us here, they had won a name for themselves, these guys. So they ended up with an amazing testimony for their life. Okay, so don't ever look at your background and let that hold you back. <laughs> you need to look at the Lord who can rescue you from all that stuff. And that's to keep your eyes on. So the Lord could take a ragtag bunch of guys and turn them into a powerful force for good. And that's our Lord, that's our God, that's our Savior. So let the Lord be your king and sign up to fight in his army. He can take messed up people and use them in amazing ways, you know? And somebody said this, when God calls us to serve him, a lot of times we want to throw out the fleece. You know, Lord, are you sure? You know, uh, let me test this. Remember Gideon's fleece there? Check it a few times. We want to make sure this is really the Lord, okay? But somebody said this, but fleeces are for those who want to walk by sight. They want God to prove something. But God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. Man, I thought that was good, wow. And you think about these, these guys, you know, that are listed here, that David showed us here in 2 Samuel. They were people just like us. <laughs> was anybody messed up when you came to know the Lord? You know, anybody having problems, issues? Yeah, just like us. They were trained by David to be a God follower. And look how God used these guys, you know. And it really just comes down to that. We need to follow the Lord and do what he tells us, to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And you, know, you notice in all these stories about these heroes from, from David's mighty army, all these men took risks, you know. Yet the Lord gave them the victories. I mean, these guys were nothing special to start with. They were, again, basically the rejects of society, but... What a message of encouragement we get from their stories. And it's not how great these guys were, 
but how great their God was, you know? And that's the same God we worship. He's the one who lives inside of us when we receive Christ into our lives by faith. So all praise goes to him, okay? In 2 Samuel, let's go further, chapter 24. It says, again, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel. Boy, the Lord, you talk about being transparent and showing us some stuff. Here's David just blessing us over and over as he's looking back over his life and saying, here's what God did in me, through me, all glory goes to him. And then all of a sudden we get to chapter 24 and anger of the Lord shows up. <laughs> it's like, wow, Lord, what timing to show us this. And we're climbing this mountain of seeing all the honor and glory go to you. And now we find out you're upset here, very upset about something. It says, the anger of the Lord was aroused against Israel and he moved David against them to say, Go number Israel and Judah, okay? But think about this. We're going to examine this a little closer. But here's, here's David. He's an older man by now, all right? He's toward the end of his reign. And he still has to battle the flesh because he's going to sin right here is where we're going to see. David's going to walk into his sin and we'll see him mess up pretty bad. The point is, even as an older man, he still has the flesh to deal with. Unfortunately, we don't get to that point where our flesh says, you know what, I'm tired of fighting this battle. Let's just go go and gung-ho for the Lord. Let's go all off for Jesus. The flesh is never going to surrender that battle. It's not going to happen, okay? But here the Lord's going to show us how David turned a sinful situation in an opportunity to worship the Lord. And that's one of the best lessons we get from this. We don't have to go down and defeat to our sin but we can repent and let the Lord turn a bad situation around to become a beautiful time of praise and fellowship with the Lord. And the Lord can do that, you know? And I had to laugh as I was thinking about that Egyptian that uh, Benaiah took on when he had to go, took the guy's spear from him and used that to kill him. <laughs> I saw as a picture of the Lord taking the enemy's weapons and turn them around on him, you know? And this is kind of what we're going to see here I'm sure the enemy's thinking, I'm finally going to take David down this time, man. He is going down. And, and the Lord's like, no, he's got a heart for me. He's going to repent. That's going to come. So later on we see that. But notice something here as we, we examine this a little bit closer. Beginning in chapter 24, verse 1, it says, again. So again the Lord was angry with Israel. So Israel was in a sinful situation. The Lord doesn't go into great deal about it right here, but they did something wasn't pleasing to the Lord. And you think about this, in the recent history we were looking at with David, we saw Israel become kind of wishy-washy toward the end of David's reign. Remember we saw that when they jumped sides so quickly to go over to Absalom when he was going to go against his dad. And then when David, you know, when, that, when Absalom was taken out of the picture, they were pretty reluctant about coming back to follow David, you know, the way he, he should be treated as their king. And uh, even though he was the one God used to bring such prosperity and peace in their lives for his 40 years of reigning over them, and, and they're still, they were reluctant. So when we look at Israel at this point, we see how unstable they are and how weak they become spiritually, you know. We shouldn't be surprised when we see that they really weren't that loyal to the Lord. They, they've gotten themselves in sin now, and the Lord is angry with them over that. Which, this is a good reminder to us as well, don't think when we sin, the Lord's going, oh, it's so cute, my child is sinning again. <laughs> no, the Lord's upset about that. He's never pleased with sin, ever. And he wants us to be the same way. Always we should be upset with sin. Always we shouldn't be pleased with that. 
But I want you to look at 1 Chronicles. Turn forward in your Bible there uh, past the Kings and go to 1 Chronicles chapter 21 because it's talking about this same time period in, uh, in David's life. And it gives us an interesting, very, very interesting insight here. So 1 Chronicles chapter 21. And if you look at verse 1 here, it says, Now Satan stood up against Israel and moved David to number Israel. Okay, so the one place tells us it was the Lord in Samuel. 2 Samuel says the Lord moved David. And here it says Satan did that. So what's the deal here? We've got a, we've got a problem with the scripture having confusion? No, <laughs> I think the answer is they're both true. The Lord was going to use Satan to deal with David's pride because that's the sin that's going to be coming up. We'll see. So God's going to allow this to happen so that David and Israel would be tested here. Okay, But look further while you're still in 1 Chronicles 20 because there's a little bit more detail here I thought was interesting. So David said to Joab and to the leaders of the people, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring the number of them to me that I may know it. So he's calling for a census. And verse three, and Joab answered, may the Lord make his people a hundred times more than they are. I mean, he's saying, if you want more people under your, your rule, then may the Lord bless you with tons and tons more people. But he said, but my Lord, the king, are they not all my Lord's servants? It's like, they're your servants, you don't have to worry about this, so why are you wanting to do this? He says, why then does my Lord require this thing? Why should he be cause of guilt in Israel? So Joab knew that this was a bad idea. If you want to see the deal, it's in Exodus chapter 30, and if you want to flip back there, it'd be good to get the, the other pieces that go with this story. Back in Exodus 30, uh, there was another numbering of the people that went on. But the Lord is the one who commanded it. And he commanded Moses to number the folks. So in Exodus chapter 30, if you want to read this, if not, I'll read it to you. Exodus 30, down to verse 11. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, When you take the census of the children of Israel for their number, then every man shall give a ransom for himself to the Lord. When you number them, and here's the reason that they need to do this ransom that there be no plague among them when you number them. And what's going on here is kind of interesting. When, when you had, like, say, a huge flock in that and you wanted to see how many you had, uh, you could number them because they're your flock. But you wouldn't have somebody else number them unless there was some way to say, these are yours. So when the Lord told Moses to number the people, the people didn't belong to Moses, okay? So they belonged to the Lord. When the Lord told Moses to do this, he said, now, when you do this, they need to pay a ransom, not to you. This ransom is to be paid to the Lord to show that we belong to him, all right? And the Lord says, as long as it's done in the right spirit, the right attitude, not for Moses to say, look at all my people I got following me, which is what David's going to do. But Moses here is saying, Lord, I'll do this if you want, and we'll be careful to do it exactly the way you say. So when he numbered the people, they paid the ransom to the Lord to show that we belong to him. So there's no problem there. There's no Moses claiming these are my people. Because if somebody in that time period saw Moses doing it, they'd say, are these your people? I'd say, no, no, these belong to the Lord. They don't belong to me. Okay, so, so this is something that the Lord taught them back in Exodus 30 to be very careful. If you want to read further back there, if you're still there, 
Verse 13 says, this is what everyone among those who are numbered shall give, half a shekel according to the shekel of a sanctuary. A shekel is 20 geras. And notice what it says. The half shekel shall be an offering to the Lord. Okay, so this was acknowledging that I'm paying this ransom because I belong to the Lord. This is called the ransom payment here just to acknowledge I belong to him. I don't belong to Moses. We're not saying that. We're saying this is for the Lord. So back in our second Samuel passage, if the Lord tells you to number them, then he's going to require that ransom to be paid. But if you're ordering the census for selfish reasons, like David was here, then you should know that judgment is going to be coming your way. I mean, that's what the Lord said, lest a plague break out among you back there in Exodus 30. So the Lord is saying, if you don't do it carefully the way I'm telling you for my reasons, trouble is coming. Okay, so David should have known that. And here's what was going on with David apparently at this time. He was trusting in his mighty men and in his army rather than in the mighty Lord of his army. Okay, so we need to be careful not to trust in anything except the Lord. Now, back in 2 Samuel 24, look down to verse um, 2 here. It says, so the king said to Joab, the commander of the army who was with him, now go throughout all the tribes of Israel from Dan to Beersheba and count the people that I may know the number of the people. And Joab said to the king, now may the Lord your God add to the people a hundred times more than there are, and may the eyes of the Lord the king see it. But why does my Lord the king desire this thing? Okay, And again, Joab knew this was not a good idea, so he's trying to warn him. But look what it says in verse 4. Nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab and against the captains of the army. Okay, David didn't listen to Joab, and Joab wasn't alone in trying to warn David. It says all the captains of the army, they agreed with Joab. David, please don't do this. Okay, And the Lord actually tells us, you know, there's safety in hearing from godly counselors. But sin can even blind us to them if we're not careful. And that's what's going on here. So it says there, you know, that Job and his captains tried. It says, therefore, when David said, no way, therefore, Joab and the captains of the army went off from the presence of the king to count the people of Israel. They did what they knew was a bad idea from the get-go, but they couldn't talk David out of it, so as good soldiers, they're going to do what they're told to do. But think about the lesson we get here, too. David didn't list, listen to Joab. And you think about this, in Joab's life, he had done some things where were pretty shady at times, okay? So you really wouldn't say he had the best testimony of walking with the Lord. I mean, we mentioned that we were going through some of the passages telling us about him. Maybe once or twice we could say, look, he's thinking about the Lord. It's like, yes, the light came on. Most of the time he was thinking about himself, it seemed like, okay? So he's not got such a great testimony. Now here... He's trying to, to stop David from making a bad mistake, and David doesn't want to listen to him. So think about this. Here's a lesson we get. If we've got a shabby testimony, don't be surprised when people don't want to receive what you have to say. You know, That's why we need to live daily for the Lord and not for ourselves. We want to have a good testimony so people will listen to us when we talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, it really helps if we've got a good testimony ourselves. You know, otherwise they can say, well, 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 who are you talking to me, man? Look at all the stuff you're in, right? Yeah, so be careful with that testimony. If you want people to hear you, you got to walk that way. So in verse 5, it says, they crossed over the Jordan 
So they're going to go do this now. And they camped in Aor on the right side of the town, which is in the midst of the ravine of Gad, and towards Jazir. Then they came to Gilead and to the land of Tathim Hodshi. They came to Dan, John, and around to Sidon. They came to the stronghold of Tyre, to all the cities of the Hivites and the Canaanites. Then they went out to south Judah as far as Beersheba. So when they had gone through all the land, they came to Jerusalem at the end of, look how much time this took, nine months and 20 days. Okay. So the Lord gave us a little bit of this to think this one through. This obviously took some time to do all this numbering. We're told here it was about nine months. So David, he could have repented anywhere in that nine-month span. He could have stopped the census and say, whoa, 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 what was I thinking? Let's stop this right now. But he didn't do that. So another lesson we get here. When we give in to sin, it can keep us in this grasp for a lot longer than we ever thought possible. I mean, you think about this. I'm sure if you wanted me to talk to David just before he got himself in this mess, and you tried to tell him, David, you're about to enter into an area of your life, you're going to let sin into your life, and you're going to be stuck there for nine months. He probably would have told you, you're crazy. I ain't going to do anything like that. You know, I love the Lord too much. I would never do anything like that. And yet, it happened. So we need to remember how dangerous sin really is. It's like slowly sinking in quicksand. By the time you realize what you stepped in, it can be almost impossible to get out of. It is dangerous. Nine months, David's walking in this sin. Wow, verse 9. Then Joab gave the sum of the number of the people to the king. And there were in Israel 800,000 valiant men who drew the sword and the men of Judah were 500,000 men. And you get some different numbers when you look at uh, First Chronicles passage on this, and we'll talk about that, Lord willing, we get on to that passage. But just know here that there was a lot of folks he brings in. Interesting little phrase he uses here. He said there were this many guys, they were valiant men who drew the sword. And I heard an interesting question on that. Are we people who draw the sword of God's word? Do we do that? Because if we are, then we're a valiant man in the eyes of the Lord, too, because we use his word, that sword that he gave us, right? But here's David. He's trusting in the size of his army rather than the Lord. And we need to be careful again not to trust in anything other than the Lord. You know, don't even let things come before your eyes to allow yourself to go there. I don't know what moved David originally to do this. If he happened to look out one day and see a whole lot of people around, thought, you know what? I wonder how many people I do have under my rule. Let's go check that out. You know, I don't know. Something caused him to do that. And us guys, we're pretty visual. So be careful not to even entertain the, the temptation to do something that would be displeasing to the Lord. Look at verse 10. David's heart condemned him after he had numbered the people. So David said to the Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. Notice he didn't say I sinned. I sinned greatly in what I've done. But now I pray, O oh Lord, Take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. David here calls this a great sin because he knew that his trust had transferred from trusting in the Lord to trusting in the army that he had, that God had given him. Okay, So for this to happen in his life, even just for nine months, he saw this as a great sin, that he stopped trusting in the Lord. Wow, you know, how should we see it? And we realize we've done that too. When we're trusting in whatever else there is 
in this life, even stuff that God's blessed us with. But we stop trusting in the Lord. Wow. Check us, Lord. Don't let us go there. You know, wake us up. And you think about this. David sensed conviction here, and he repented. You know, sometimes we fight that conviction of our own sin. And that happened to David before, too. Right? After his sinful ordeal with Bathsheba, the Lord had to send Nathan to wake him up. Right? The prophet Nathan. And bring him to his senses. But here, David is just convicted right away. And he responds to that conviction. So a question for us is how quickly do we respond when we're convicted? Do we wrestle with it for a while and say, I know I shouldn't do this, but... Or do we say, Lord, man, I've sinned right now. I'm stopping on my tracks. I'm getting on my knees, Lord. I sinned. I was wrong. And do we repent? Verse 11 goes on. Now when David arose in the morning, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Gad, David's seer, saying, go and tell David... Thus says the Lord, I offer you these three things. Choose one of them for yourself that I may do it to you. So it's kind of interesting here. The Lord didn't speak to David directly at this point, but he used a go-between. He sent a prophet. You know, it made me think that sometimes we need a go-between when it comes to praying in our lives. Sometimes, you know, the scriptures say we're stuck. We don't know how to pray exactly right. Romans 8 says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings with which cannot be uttered. So we need to go between two. This, this go between, uh, David sent to the prophet to make it very clear to David, and the Lord says, you're going to have a consequence here. Which one do you want? He gave him a choice. Now look at verse 13. So Gad came to David, he told him, and he said, shall seven years of famine come to you in your land? If famine comes, and I think this was David's reasoning as he was deciding which one to choose, if famine comes to the land, it's going to hit people. People are going to probably die. You're going to be hurt. Who do you think is going to be hit more, though, when you got famine come in the land? Probably the folks at the bottom of the food chain, right? The folks at the top, they might have a little more reserve. They might have a little more influence. So David here, being king, he might be protected from that for a while. So he didn't choose it. The second one, (coughs) excuse me, verse 13, the Lord says, or do you want to flee for three months before your enemies while they pursue you? So again, you're going to have people die. It's probably going to be your military guys, the guys you like to use here to defend your people, okay? So there's going to be death involved there too. But again, remember at this point, David's not going out to battle anymore, so he could be protected from this one too, it wouldn't affect him directly, so David's not going to go there. He's going to choose the third one. It says, shall there be three days plague in your land? <coughs> Excuse me. He said, now consider and see what answer I should take back to him who sent me. Take it back to the Lord. He's going to choose the three days of plague, although uh, you notice the time element was going down. You went from seven years, and the other passage says three years. Either one's a longer time. Or do you want three months, you know, or do you want three days? of this plague, every one of them is probably going to involve some death here. But when it comes down to the plague, that can hit everybody. It doesn't matter if you're rich, poor, king, servant, it doesn't make a difference. Everybody's open to that one. So David's going to go there. David said to Gad, I am in great distress. Please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for his mercies are great. But do not let me fall into the hand of man. In those first two places, you're basically falling in the hand of man, David reasoned. 
you know, if there's a famine, we're going to have to depend on the people living around us to try to get some food. That's depending in man. He says, I don't want that. Depending in the, the enemies fighting us, we're going to have to depend on our guys and their guys, and I don't want to do that either. But he knew in the third one, that's just him and the Lord. The Lord's going to send the plague, and he says, I know something about God. He's very merciful. So, Lord, I will accept that at your hand, and I'm going to trust that you're going to be merciful. Verse 15, so the Lord sent a plague upon Israel from the morning till the appointed time. From Dan to Beersheba, 70,000 men of the people died. And when the angel stretched out his hand over Jerusalem to destroy it, the angels come to the place of Jerusalem. He's been marching through the land. People are dying. People are dying. He gets to the place of Jerusalem. He's ready to do some killing there. The Lord repent, relented from the destruction, and he said to the angel who was destroying the people, it is enough. Now restrain your hand. Right here, he's showing mercy. The original plan was just keep going until David makes this right. You just keep going. So, but here the Lord says, no, it's enough. He showed mercy. And he said, now restrain your hand. And the angel of the Lord was by the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. This is where the angel had come to when the Lord said, stop right here. And he told us about this guy. Then David spoke to the Lord when he saw the angel who was striking the people, and he said, surely I have sinned and I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? So he said, why should the people pay for my sin? Let your hand, I pray, be against me and against my father's house. So David's acknowledging it's tearing him up to see his people die because of his sin. So he's saying, Lord, please just take it out of me. Don't, don't let any more people die here. It was, and again, the Lord's showing us David's heart and all of these things. He's a shepherd. He sees these people as his sheep. I'm supposed to be taking care of them, not let them die. So he's crying out to the Lord here for help. Verse 18, and Gad came that day to David and he said to him, go up, erect an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna, the Jebusite. So he's saying, make this a place of worship. So David, according to the word of Gad, went up as the Lord commanded. Now Aruna looked, and he saw the king and his servants coming toward him. So Aruna went out and bowed before the king with his face to the ground, probably wondering what's going on. Then Aruna said, why has my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, to buy the threshing floor from you, to build an altar to the Lord. That's what I'm going to do here, that the plague may be withdrawn from the people. Now Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take and offer up whatever seems good to him, and look here, oxen for burnt sacrifice and threshing implements and the yokes of the oxen for wood. So he's saying, I'm giving you everything here, man. You can even have my animals. I'm giving them to you. And you're going to have to have a fire, so just use their, their uh, stuff they were drawn with here. It says the threshing implements and the yokes. We're not going to need them anymore because I'm giving you these animals. So use them for the wood. Man, we're going to have a, a barbecue right here for the Lord and give all the praise to him. And it says in verse 23, all these, O King Aruna, has given to the king. And Aruna said to the king, may the Lord your God accept you. He's trying to bless David. He loves David. David's been a great king for him. Then the king said to Aruna, and this is an amazing verse. Man, if you mark verses in your Bible, this is one to mark. No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. And in the other passage, it says, I'm going to pay you full price for this. No shortcuts. Nor will I offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God with that which costs me nothing. David's saying, I can't give something to the Lord that was just, you know, something didn't cost me anything. It has to cost me to worship the Lord. Wow. 
What an attitude. As Americans, we're always used to the better deal. We want a coupon, man. Give me a discount. David here says, if it doesn't cost me to worship the Lord, then it doesn't mean anything to me. Wow. What a challenge on our life. Are we sacrificing anything in our life for the Lord? Are we on the easy way? Give me a coupon, Lord. Give me the discount. 50% sounds good. 70% is better. You know, free, I'll take that. David said, no, I'll pay you full price. And guys, this is, this is our heart for the Lord. It should be. You know, as the Lord gives us opportunity, we need help from the outside to do stuff in the church or something, and we got to pay for that. We pay full price. I tell them, don't give us a discount because we're a church. We pay the full price. We don't want you to think our God can't pay his bills. <laughs> the church has a horrible reputation for doing that, in our country anyway. It's like, no. Our God's great, man. He's awesome. He can pay his bills. He's not short. You need the Lord. We've got him. You need him. Yeah. So David said this. And it says, so David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. You check, that's a, that's a pretty good deal for the, the threshing floor. You check the other passage in Chronicles and talks about a whole bunch of gold David gave this guy. And again, somebody says, oh, discrepancy in the Bible. Psh, nope. Read it close. This is what David play, paid for the threshing floor itself. The other passage tells us he paid for the whole property. He said, I want it all. We won't take time to look there. I wish we could, but if you want to write this down, 2 Chronicles 3.1, you check that passage later on, and you may ask the question, why was this place so special? Why did the angel stop right here? Why did God say stop right where you are? And we're going to show mercy. The place that David bought, this was this whole area it was eventually going to be a place where Solomon built the temple. David was making preparation for that temple. Not just a one-time sacrifice here to the Lord, but a huge place of worship for God. That was David's heart. Amazing passage. And it, the, the amazing thing, too, the precision of the Lord so, so awesome. This place where God has shown mercy to Israel. This is the same hill where Abraham was going to sacrifice his son Isaac. Where the Lord provided himself a sacrifice. Okay? So it was that same hill. God showed mercy there to Abraham. God showed mercy to Israel here. And this same set of hills in the future is going to be called Golgotha. It's going to be called Calvary. This is where Jesus would pay for the sins of the world. This is the place of mercy. And this is a picture of that's where God's judgment stops, at the cross. Wow, a powerful, powerful message here, you know, that the Lord is saying. My judgment stops here if you receive it. If you come to this hill, if you receive what my son did on that hill, on that cross, that is the place of mercy. Open your heart wide and do that. So we're told in verse 25, 
David built there an altar to the Lord, and he offered burnt offerings, meaning he rededicated his life to the Lord. And he offered peace offerings, which means fellowship with the Lord. And that's what the Lord wants. He wants us to give our life to him so we can have fellowship with him. David did that. Look what happened. So the Lord heeded the prayers for the land, and the plague was withdrawn from Israel. So the judgment stopped. And if you want to see something cool again, we're not going to go there, time's gone. But in First Chronicles passage, if you read that passage at the end, it says the Lord told the angel to put his sword back in its sheath. What a picture. So the Lord told him to stop the judgment right there. The picture is, here's this angel that's bringing death, a judgment. And he's standing with that sword the whole time. Until the sacrifice was completed and the sword was put away. Wow. I'm sorry, guys. What a powerful passage. Amazing. I thank the Lord for letting us to study 2 Samuel and to see these lessons, and especially leading us up to the birth of his son, Jesus. Wow. Amazing picture. Let's pray, guys. Father, thank you for your precious word. Thank you for how you speak to us so powerfully from your word. Help us, Lord, to have an open heart to receive Christ this Christmas season, Lord. And if we haven't been walking with you, help us, Lord, to make that burnt offering, to rededicate our life to you and to enjoy the fellowship with you, Lord, on the other side of that. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters and those that are watching on the live stream, if anybody is struggling with sin, I pray today you'd set them free, Lord. Help them to come to the cross and rededicate their life to Jesus Christ. Father, if someone is, is listening who doesn't know Jesus yet as Lord and Savior today, wake them up, Lord. Let them see their need, that they're headed for a horrible future for eternity without Jesus. Please open their eyes to see their need. And Lord, I want to give you the praise for the work you're doing. This is all for you and all for your glory. So we do return every, every bit of it back to you, Lord. All praise goes to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.